this morning with prayer. Oh God, our King and Father, we are delighted this morning to be in Your house to recognize and reflect on the meaning of the resurrection. Oh God, for the scoffers and the mockers of our world who believe in everything, no matter how bizarre it might be, and yet are reticent, outright rebels in the concept of believing that God could bring a man back from death. Or would you challenge our hearts this morning if in no other way to see the inconsistency of the world in saying this could not happen? Lord, we confirm, we affirm, we confess because Your Word has bore witness that Christ is risen indeed. And we pray that You would help us to live in the power of that resurrection. You'll help me today in my speech so that the, the hearer benefits from what is said today. And in a way, Lord, not just for this morning, not just for today, this Sunday, but throughout the rest of the week and in fact, throughout the rest of our lives, Lord. We ask You for this today in the holy name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So today is Easter Sunday. It is, the, it is the day we celebrate, recognize, and acknowledge the resurrection of Christ. Christ coming back from the grave. And we affirm the resurrection. We affirm the importance of that. We talk about it. And we emphasize it. It's different from any other religion on the planet. No other religion teaches their God came and died and then came back to life in fulfillment of prophecy. I tell you all of that this morning because typically, and you know, I hope you know that I'm not a typical pastor uh, in the way I approach the ministry of the Word, at least. So today, to talk about the resurrection, we are going to read from Matthew chapter 5, verse number 13 and the Sermon on the Mount. And I would uh, tell you, we will talk about the resurrection. And we'll start out there after we read our Scripture. But I wanted you to see the resurrection even in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we will begin our reading at verse 13 through verse 16 of Matthew chapter 5. And we will go forward from there. Now, I have to say this before I read verse 13. Uh, what we have been talking about with all of these other Beatitudes. And he comes down to verse 13 and he says some things that are drawn from the Beatitudes. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. And let me pause to say, I apologize that I have no slideshow or handout this morning, but this was one of those messages that just challenged my ability to put it together in a coherent fashion. <sighs> <laughs> and I will leave that there <laughs> before, before I say anything else about coherent fashions. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. 
You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, here's the premise I'm going to follow this morning. We are called, you and I, as believers, we are called to more than merely believing in the resurrection. We are called to live out the power that flows from the resurrection. I, I can tell you today that perhaps in many churches, there are many people who've shown up. It's Easter Sunday, and because I'm a Christian, I want to affirm that belief, and they leave and never live the resurrection power. And this is the whole purpose. We are called out we are called to live out the power of the resurrection. Not just give mental assent to it. Not just give religious assent and say, oh yes, I believe in that event. I'm a good Christian. I believe God raised Jesus from the dead. But that's as far as it goes. No, no, we are called to live the power of the resurrection. And the Beatitudes are one of the expressions of how we live out that resurrection power. Now let me talk to you about a few things of the consequences of the resurrection and then try to bring them back around and connect them here again. The first thing we need to know and we affirm and we say is that the resurrection of Christ vindicates the claims of Christ. It vindicates the claims of Christ. It is very puzzling when people who call themselves Christians, and there are many people like this, who do not believe in the physical resurrection of Christ. They will say things like, oh yes, he, he came back, but it wasn't physically. He didn't come, his body didn't come back to life. And as I've told you, I know many of you don't follow these kind of things, but because of my blog and attempt to find good news, you would not believe the kinds of stuff people out there are saying they believe. And yet they can't believe in the resurrection of Christ. Uh, it's incredible, and I don't want to spend a lot of time there. But Jesus comes and he says, I'm the Messiah. And the ultimate vindication, we've talked about how his miracles prove it. Because he was doing miracles that were consistent with Old Testament predictions about the Messiah. But the ultimate vindication is that he came back from the grave. And by the way, this is, and you'll see this in a moment in the Scriptures, it is God's stamp of approval on the claims of Christ. This above all else proves that Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah because He did not stay dead. And so very important because remember, we touched on this Friday night in our, our Good Friday service. Jesus in the Gospels, all three Gospels, three times, predicts His death and His resurrection. You see, if He didn't come back from the dead, then His predictions are wrong and they're worthless. This is why the resurrection is so central. Not just to the, the thing it does for us and, and giving us the, the means of life eternal and not having to be afraid of death in its ultimate insinuations, but also because it shows us that God is trustworthy. Listen to this passage from Acts chapter 2, verse 22, 32, and 36. It's the day of Pentecost, Peter's preaching. He said, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and signs and wonders that God did through him in your midst. 
the confirmation, the affirmation, the seal of approval that he was uh, of God was that he did these miracles, that God did these miracles through him. And he goes on to say, God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. Listen, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The resurrection, in other words, proves that Christ is who he said he was. And children, I know that most of you, and I, I try to use these illustrations about people not believing these things. It's possible some of you here today would say, I don't really believe that stuff. But you encounter many people in our society who don't believe it and who don't think it's necessary to believe. And Peter and the apostles, when they get up to preach the first sermon after the resurrection, after the coming of the Holy Spirit, their focus is upon this proves that Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God and He sent the Spirit. Jesus said as much at the Last Supper in John chapter 15. He says, I'm going to go away, but I will not leave you orphans. I will send another comforter. I will pray the Father, and He will send you another comforter, and He will be with you forever. The resurrection vindicates the claims of Christ. Now right on the heels of that, of course, the, the vindication of Christ through the resurrection, opens the doorway for the coming of the Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts. In the Old Testament, you will find this, that it never says the Spirit was in someone. It says the Spirit was on them. The Spirit of the Lord came on David. It came on Saul. It came on Samson. It came on Gideon. In the New Testament, something else happens. The Spirit of God comes to live in our hearts. And again, I don't have time to lay out all the passages of Scripture, but, but Jesus says this is what's going to happen. He's going to be in you. Not just with you anymore. He's going to be in you. And that's what we call the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in our heart when we become Christians. But that happens because the resurrection happened. Oh, children, I hope... I, no, 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 that's the wrong way to say it. I know that you're capable of connecting the dots, but if He is not resurrected, then, and then if, he, if He says that you will receive the Spirit who will take dwelling in you after I get to heaven, after I've been raised, after I've ascended, then you must know that no one who can, says there's no resurrection can receive the Spirit as Jesus describes it. Listen again to these passages from Acts chapter 1. While staying with them, now this is after the resurrection, while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, you heard from me, in John, at the Last Supper, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, let us just pause a moment, because there are folks, especially in the Pentecostal Charismatic Church, that try to make a distinction between baptized and infilled. 
as if one is a different experience. Jesus says you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days now. And when that happens in Acts chapter 2, it says they were filled with the Spirit. It's two different words describing the same experience. And it's another one of those examples where we try to make something, a distinction that doesn't really exist. But notice he says, stay there until you get the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father. And I'm going to pray God would send him to you. Listen to Peter in chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said to him, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now the point I'm trying to bring out to you today is when we talk about the resurrection, it isn't just a religious, esoteric, mystical idea. It is a real event that has real consequences in our day-to-day lives as Christians. This is the point. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. I did not put this passage on the outline today because again, there's so many, you can get off on so many trails. But Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power and you shall be witnesses. Now notice the two contexts of that statement. Because many people just get power to be a witness and never get power. And the first, the first power, first, the first power you need is the power to live righteously, because your words are meaningless if they're not backed up by the way you live your life. You've heard the saying, I'm sure. What you, what you are, if this is the correct way it goes, what you are, what you do, speaks so loudly, I cannot hear what you're saying. People see the way we live. And there's just something wrong with that. Where did I didn't put that down? And now I'm gonna I'm gonna feel bad if I don't remember to say that. Please help me, Lord, if it's important, remember it. So the first thing we say about the resurrection, it vindicates the claims of Christ. And the vindication of Christ means the coming of the Spirit to dwell in our hearts. And the third consequence of the resurrection is that the Holy Spirit sanctifies through word and ritual, producing the character virtues of Christ, some of which are detailed in the Beatitudes. Oh, children, I I want you to see if nothing else, you can't disconnect one event in Scripture from another event in Scripture. It's a tapestry. It's woven together. And you never, you know, we, we come together and we can be guilty of, of just focusing on one thing. And I feel I'm awful worried about that all the time, that I'm, I'm stuck on a certain topic for too long. But the fact of the matter is, many, most of the topics of Scripture are tied together in such a way. You cannot speak of one without speaking of the other. Now, let me describe to you what I mean by the Holy Spirit sanctifies through word and ritual. That can be a tricky phrase. And so let me make sure you got it. Word and ritual. Not word or ritual. Word or ritual. Confessing the creed is a ritual. And we should confess. We need to know what we believe. A lot of people in our culture who are Christians... But a lot of people outside who are not Christians, they don't know what Christians believe. They think they know what Christians believe, but they don't. So we need to know what we're talking about when we go out to witness. But the Holy Spirit sanctifies through word and ritual, through the Lord's Supper, 
through baptism, through confession. That's the ritual that He uses through the Word to grip our hearts and transform us into Christ. And this is the work the Holy Spirit comes to do. He does not come to give us a great celebration, and please don't misunderstand me. He does not come. I'm not diminishing this celebration. I'm saying that Christ, the Holy Spirit, does not come just to give us a celebration on Easter Sunday. He comes to empower us to live day by day. Now, this is a big passage of Scripture, so let me read this. Romans chapter 8, verse 8 through 17. And you'll see the connotations to the resurrection here. Paul says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And he means there, of course, everybody living by the dictates of the flesh. Because we're all in the flesh. Last time I checked. He means people whose lives are focused on only the things of this world. He says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells with you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. You cannot call yourself a believer and not have the Spirit of Christ. And the problem is that many people say, I'm a believer, and therefore I must have the Spirit of Christ, but there's no evidence that the Spirit of Christ is doing anything in their heart. He says, if Christ, now listen, if, but if Christ is in you through the Spirit... If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness, and it is the righteousness of God. Now listen. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now this is not only life in the future, in the resurrection, but life right now. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now here's one of the verses that is most misquoted in all of the Bible. And please help me, Lord. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now I don't want to diminish, please, the reality that God leads us in our lives. He's a shepherd. We are His sheep. Therefore, we are led by our shepherd. Unfortunately, the phrase, I felt led, became so popular that people began to use it as a proof of their deep spirituality. I felt led. I felt led. I felt led. I felt, and we do feel led sometimes. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm trying to make the balance here. There are times when God leads you to speak to someone or leads you to pray for someone or leads you to a particular passage of Scripture that you need in a moment of comfort. We're not diminishing that. But I want you to see that the point Paul is making is that the Spirit is leading us to put to death the sins of the body. He is leading us. Let me read it again. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The sons of God, if you read it backwards, the sons of God being led by the Spirit mortify the flesh and crucify the flesh. 
When we talk about Holy Ghost power and resurrection power, we must stop to ask, are we responding to the leading of the Spirit as we crucify the flesh? Get this, please. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I read a book this week by Michael Horton on the covenant, covenant theology, and he made a statement there. I'd like to put it on the sign. I'm not sure that your average person on the street would understand the first word, but it, it just I think it's echoed in this passage. He said, legalism can obey, but it cannot adore. You can keep the rules, but you can't fall in love with God. And Paul says here, we need both. We need an obedience that says, this is wrong and I must turn from it. No matter how much of a challenge it is, I have to turn from that sin. But the motivation isn't because God's going to strike me dead in the next moment if I don't, but because He has demonstrated His great love to us in the death and resurrection of Christ, and His Spirit comes to live in our hearts. And we cry, Abba, Father. Wow. Now, now let me read the next piece, and I've got to move along. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. I've got to stop. This is again one of the most misused phrases in all the Bible. Well, the Spirit bears witness. The Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit. That has nothing to do with your spirit bearing witness to some false teacher on television. I was watching this pro and I felt, I mean, I was watching. Tyler, this is a normal occurrence in our church where the pastor can't speak right. Please don't let it prevent you from coming back. <laughs> this is a verse that is very misused. People say, well, I was watching this TV preacher and I just felt the witness of the Spirit. That's not the way that passage is used. I've heard so many people say that. I felt the witness of the Spirit. That person is teaching false doctrine. How can you feel the witness of the Holy Spirit about somebody preaching false doctrine? But it's because that verse does not mean that. It doesn't mean I was out somewhere and I met somebody and they said they were Christians and our, our spirits just bore witness with each other. And then a month later you find out things that demonstrate they're not living by the Word of God at all. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. We are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. And now if I can connect this passage talking about the resurrection, back to the Beatitudes. Last week we talked about persecution. Being a Christian leads to persecution. And Paul ends this by saying, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we might be glorified with Him. Now please get that. We don't go looking for trouble. But when trouble comes, we bear it gladly for the name of Christ. Now I've already told you when you say, where does the Spirit lead? He leads us into a pattern of living which involves the daily mortification and crucifixion of the flesh. What does that mean? It means you're learning to say no to yourself and yes to God. So here's an illustration that I have to do once in a while because I'm like everyone in the room. 
or you're like me, one or the other. I'm not sure which is worse. <laughs> me and Lisa tease a lot of times. We're driving down the road, and the person in front of us is not quite going as fast as we'd like for them to go. And we look at each other and say, how dare they go by the speed limit? I mean, who does that? <laughs> so what do I do? I get behind somebody that's doing 50 miles an hour, and a lot of times I stay there just to crucify the flesh. Because me, man, the self wants to, whoo, I got places to be. Sometimes I need to say no. One of the ways you can do that is when I were birth. <laughs> Lord, as you give our pastor new life, give him a new mouth as well. Amen. <laughs> When I was a new Christian and we had church dinners, I had to be the first one in line. Man, it all goes, look at all that food. I'm going to get it before anybody else does. I mean, I thought if somebody got in front of me, I got mad. How dare you get in front of me? And now you'll note, and this is not just here at church, this is at our home. I'm the last one to get the food. I'm not bragging, but I'm showing you how those little ways to crucify the flesh. I'm just so busy, I don't have time to read the Bible. Crucify the flesh and deny yourself one of the things that's keeping you busy. You do not, you do not, you do not have to look at your phone 13 seconds after you wake up in the morning. Now, I know some of you are businessmen and women, and therefore it may be more pressing, but that's not what most people do with their phone when they cut it on in the morning. It's Facebook, it's in the news, whatever. I knew a guy once, he was always complaining about the bad news. And the first thing he did in the morning when he got up is turn on the news. <laughs> Cut it off. The world is not going to end, I promise you, if you don't know the latest about Joe Biden's gaffes. This is what we do, and this is what the Spirit comes to do. Not just give us a celebration one day of the year, but to lead our lives into the crucifixion of the flesh, whether small or large. I'm using little things because you only, only you know what the big issues of your life are and what you must do. So then we come to the question of what does this holy, righteous living look like? The Holy Spirit comes. The resurrection makes possible the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into our heart. He leads us into a path of crucifying and mortifying the flesh. He leads us towards righteous living. And what does that look like? It looks like the Beatitudes. It looks like poverty of spirit. And mercy. And personal purity and peacemaking and an attitude of faithfully enduring the suffering and reproach of Christ. That's what righteousness looks like. And so I can ask myself, am I following the leading of the Spirit in those ways? Now we're back. We are back now to verse number 13 of our text. You're the salt of the earth. Righteous living makes us the salt of the earth. You did not become the salt of the earth because you confessed your faith in Christ and signed a card and said, I gave my life to Jesus. That's not what made you the salt of the earth. What makes you the salt of the earth is living out the Christian life. That's why Jesus goes through this list. 
Do you remember how we've gone through it now? Blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. And when he gets down with all those blessings, he says, you're the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth by the life you're living. Now, it is, listen now, it is not, it is not by merely believing things but living out the things you believe that make you the salt of the earth. Now, we had a, conf- we had a discussion some weeks ago, or on a Sunday morning maybe, at the last question and answer, maybe on a Wednesday night, about cussing. And I told you before, I don't think saying damn or hell will take you to hell, because both those words are in the Bible. And we have words. I felt a little hypocritical after that discussion because in my first book, The Christmas Truths, I used the word bastard. Tommy refers to his father in one passage as a bastard. Now that's not a bad word. It's a word we use badly. In its simple definition, it means an illegitimate son. That's all it means. And in that particular passage, I felt like there had, to be, he had to have, there had to be some demonstration of his anger. So we talked about that. I don't want to give you any legalism. I, I do think you and I need to learn how to speak in a way that is not as colorful as the world. Now here's why I say that to you. This week I saw a little clip and of, of Gutfield on Fox News. And many of you know, or you, many of you pr- might know, that Shannon Bream is a correspondent for Fox News, and she is now has her own show. I don't know the name of it. Shannon Bream graduated from Liberty University. She's a Christian. In fact, she has a book out about the women and the daughters of the Scriptures. Now, what was funny was in this panel discussion, she used the word hell. And then she said, hell is in the Bible. And her other guests were laughing because they'd never heard her cuss. They couldn't believe she used the word hell. Which tells us she's living a life in corporate America and she's controlling her speech in such a way that people know there's something different about this person. Now, I'm just using curse words as an example without trying to put any kind of burden on top of you or crush you down, but just to simply say, it isn't just saying I believe something. It is living what I believe because people see what you live. And this is the calling of Christ. This is why the resurrection occurs. Matthew 7, 24 and 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Not everyone who hears these things and believes them, but the people who hear them and do them. Everyone, verse 27, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And by the way, Jesus teaches this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, knowing that someday he's going to be resurrected. He doesn't say, you know, oh, just believe in the resurrection. Pray this prayer. Join a church. Attend on Christmas and Easter. No, no. He says, live what you believe. And James says the same thing, doesn't he? 
Well, faith without works is dead. It's worthless. Salt, if it's lost its flavor, just throw it out. It's no good. Righteous living is what makes us the light, the salt of the earth. Not a claim that we're Christians, not a sign out by the road that says this is a church, but the way we live, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The second thing we can draw from the resurrection, back to the Sermon on the Mount, is that righteous living makes us the light of the world. I, I, I don't know if you have uh, ever read it. I thought about, I tinkered with the idea of a book one time on this subject because Paul in the Gospels says, imitate me, not the Gospels, in his letter, I think, to 1 Corinthians. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Really? <laughs> you want me to imitate you, Paul, and all the things you've done for God? I don't feel I'm capable of that. And most of us would say that, wouldn't we? We say, the light of the world, the salt of the earth, you're talking to the wrong people here. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, transforming our lives, recognizing it doesn't happen overnight, it's not a one-time event, it's a lifelong journey. That righteous living makes us the light of the world. The resurrection of Christ makes way for the life-altering work of the Spirit, which becomes a source of blessing to the world and a source of glory for the Father. Verse 16. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now it goes without saying these good works must be something more than just religious works or socially good works. The world's not going to glorify God. Or they glorify the wrong God. It is works that are done that are consistent with the calling and the character of Christ and that's where the Beatitudes come back in. Salt purifies. In the Old Testament, every sacrifice had to have salt on it. It was a symbol of purification. And we read there in the Beatitudes of number eight, blessed are the pure in heart. And we talked about the challenges of that. Preserves. Salt not only purifies, it preserves. And there are many other applications, but these are the two that are most frequently used of the Christian. Preserves. Keeps things from going bad. There we outline, Pastor. It preserves, it keeps things from going bad. Well, how can we keep things from going bad in our world? Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Are you hungry for the things of God? Are you hungry for the things of God? Because as we hunger for the things of God, we seek God, we pursue God, we apply God's Word to our lives, we live in a way that speaks to the culture, and we make an impact, and we preserve the culture. Now, I am not one of those. And if you would go to William's Good Word, commercial time, there's a ton of good news out there about the good stuff that's happening in our culture 
It's not the end. We're not at the bottom by a long shot. There are good people fighting the good fight of faith. But this is what we're supposed to do. Preserve the culture. Now this does not have anything to do with when Christ is coming. Jesus is going to come exactly when God the Father determines He will come. Got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with living the Christian life in a beneficial way until He comes. The light, by the way, is also significant and connected to this idea again of adoption by the Holy Spirit. The work of the Spirit, through the work of the Spirit, we are adopted into God's family. I'm not just a servant. I am a child who serves. There's a difference between a child willingly serving its father and a servant doing it under duress or pressure. Which one are you? Are you serving Him as a child? Do you feel the warmth of His presence? Do you want to come in to see Him? Or is it... I always used to say, I used to hate the phrase, we have to go to church Sunday. As a matter of your schedule, you have to go, but you really should want to go and be in the presence of God's people and to hear His Word proclaimed. Ephesians 5.8 says, At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then, verse 18, he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit means to live a life of light in a dark world. Oh, there's a ton of Scriptures more that you could read there. I've got to move along. William Barclay says, The radiance which shines from the Christian comes from the presence of Christ within the Christian heart. As we live our Christian lives empowered by the Holy Spirit made possible by the resurrection of Christ, we shine as lights in a dark world. And people see that light. And they are drawn to and they glorify God. Now let me give you one last thought. Tapping back to 11, verse 10, 11, and 12 about persecution. In the book of Matthew, Mark, chapter 13, verse 11, Mark says this, When they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you, but the Holy Spirit who speaks. How am I going to stand up, Pastor, if we ever get to the place where we're going to have that kind of persecution, that overt, in-your-face, people dragging us out of our homes or churches? How are we going to stand in that moment? By the power of the Holy Spirit who's been given us because of the victory of Christ. Now, if I could go back to William's good word, we posted this week, you may not have heard it or read it, But did you know the Iranian Supreme Court last month ruled that Christianity, practicing Christianity is not criminal in Iran 
a Muslim nation. Did you know that? Five men were on trial, each looking at five years of their lives. And the Iranian Supreme Court said, no, no. This is not a risk to national security. Just practicing Christianity isn't criminal. And do you see how God is working in the darkest parts of the world? And that our, our persecution, even when it happens, can become a basis of light through the work of the Holy Spirit who comes by virtue of the resurrection of Christ. This is the God we serve, children. And He is looking for people who live not just confess, not just say, hey, I believe this or I believe that, who live out their beliefs, who struggle each day to find the path that God wants them to walk on specifically, but the general path as well of living a life empowered by the Holy Spirit that the world can't live. They can't live it because they don't have Him who is the life giver. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You so very much this morning for allowing us to be in Your house.